0: Yo, this is Sam Sports Podcast. It's Saturday, April twenty second, 2017. Okay, a week has passed. The NBA playoffs have started. Um, Things are certainly looking a little different than they did a week ago when I did a podcast right before the playoffs began. Okay, uh, I'm going to jump right into the Cavaliers Pacers series in the Eastern Conference. So, This Cavaliers situation where they have no defense is still sort of lingering into this playoff series with the Pacers. Um, It's definitely put the Pacers in a position to beat the Cavs for games one and two in Cleveland. Both of them were pretty close. Both of them, you know, the Pacers were able to stay in the game, stay competitive. Uh, Cleveland really couldn't run away with the game. Um, But again, you know, Cavaliers, LeBron, Kyrie... Kevin Love, you know everything that they need to have working right at the same, at the right times are working. J.R. Smiths is hitting uh, some good shots at the end of the game, but um, and uh, you know you're starting to see Paul George needs some help. I mean, there was definitely this buzzer beater at the end of the game, or really a non buzzer beater, where CJ Miles missed a shot at the end of the game uh, to pretty much lose it for the Pacers. I mean. I don't know if you can really blame him. There was some drama afterwards where Paul George is like, why didn't you pass me the ball? But I mean, it was a situation where, you know, everything happens so quickly. It's hard to get the ball right to your superstar in the span of three seconds when you're sitting there and you've got a good look and you just take the shot. Um, I think the real excitement for this particular series is just the other night we saw game three of the series in Indiana. And now this was a game where the Pacers actually built a 25-point lead and it started to look like, you know what, now we need to be scared for the Cavaliers. Now this lack of defense, this uh, going on the road against a a legitimate playoff team in the Pacers, but I, I mean, I don't think the Pacers are that great a team, but they're a legitimate playoff team. And listen, when you've got a superstar like Paul George on your team, I personally think you always have a shot to be in the game. So... When they took a 25-point lead, I started to say, okay, you know, this is is the game where they answer back. And if anything, this might be an early indicator as to some of the problems we're going to see Cleveland face as they go deeper into the playoffs. Now, they had a 25-point lead in the game, but the Cavaliers won the game. And let's be clear here. They came back from 25 points down. This is the biggest comeback in playoff history. That's right, LeBron James now owns that record too. And the majority of this comeback happened in the second half, specifically the fourth quarter, when Kevin Love and Kyrie Irving were not in the game. You had you had Channing Frye out there. You had Kyle Korver out there. You had J.R. Smith out there. You had Darren Williams out there. But uh, Kyrie and Love were on the bench for this monumental, epic you know, history-making comeback, so that, if anything, is we've been talking a lot about can the Cavaliers flip the switch or just turn it on? Well, this was a real example of seeing the Cavaliers, if if they can, if that's, fl- if that's what flipping a switch looks like, then they fucking flip that switch because, wow, and, and it really, you know, I like the Pacers, I like some of the things that they do there, but I I can't really see them getting through this team. And, you know, and I didn't think they were going to defeat the Cavaliers in a seven-game series, but I definitely thought that they were going to scare them and they were going to expose some of the defensive issues that the Cavaliers have been encountering, you know, the last couple of months of the season riding right into the playoffs. And I thought that's what I thought was coming out in Game 3. But to see them collapse, and not really collapse, but to see the Cavaliers overcome the deficit... I mean, now I'm feeling like the the switch has been flipped. You know, now the Cavaliers are up three games to none. You know, game four, I mean, it's probably going to be a sweep, although I don't, I still think the Pacers have a win in them. You know, they're still in Indiana. Uh, I think it could be a five-game series, but it could also be a sweep now. But I, I it was amazing to see the Cavaliers come back. But again, I'm still trepidatious about their defensive issues. These are things that you cannot negate and, um, you know, depth, you know, there's still some questions of defensive depth with that Cavaliers team. And, uh, you know, we're going to see it get, you know, we're going to continue to peel back the layers as we get deeper and deeper into the playoffs. But that was really, that's been the excitement at least with that Eastern conference series. Now, um, Let's shift to uh, one of the other Eastern Conference series, which I think has carried a lot of drama. The number one and the number eight seed, the Celtics and the Bulls. Now, this thing has had two parts drama because... You know, I don't think it's been, you know, I say this a lot. I don't think it's been a mystery to anybody out there that Boston is the number one seed, but they definitely had some issues with their team. They, you know, some of these hot lower seeded teams like Bill Simmons would talk a lot about how the Miami Heat was really scaring him, how he thought that was a team that could really suck it to the Celtics. Um, I definitely did not see the Chicago Bulls coming in and winning games 1 and 2 in Boston and not just winning them but winning them convincingly and, and and making the Celtics really look bad. I mean it looked like Isaiah Thomas was not able to get his shot and of course we have to mention Isaiah Thomas's younger sister dies in a car wreck the day before game 1. I mean come on, that's just it's tragic, it's terrible. My heart goes out to him. I mean what a h- awful awful thing to happen right before one of the biggest games of your career. And I can only imagine what he was going through. And, you know, listen, there wasn't proof of anything that, you know, but I think that affects him. It's got to affect him. Okay. This wasn't his grandmother. This wasn't his dog. This was his sister, his 22 year old sister. It's just terrible. Absolutely terrible. And, you know, they went in there and I think there was an energy and I think there was some emotion there, but the Bulls turn back the clock. Rajon Rondo looked like he looked from 2010. I mean, he practically had a triple-double in the second game. Dwayne Wade is putting up monster numbers and big scoring shots. And Jimmy Butler, listen, I still think Jimmy Butler is the best player in that series. So to see the Bulls come in, turn the clocks back, and really push around the Celtics, I think people were expecting a competitive series And I think there was a feeling of these, you know, because Rondo and Dwayne Wade are are guy and maybe not. I don't know if I'd want to lump Jimmy Butler in there, but these are guys who don't care about the regular season. These are guys who show up for the playoffs and oh my God, did they show up? Robin Lopez showed up. I mean, all of a sudden, Miritich looks fantastic. Bobby Portis is hitting shots and they're really putting the Celtics on their heels until... It was looking like a complete upset when you go in and you steal two games from the number one seeded Boston Celtics in their own house. You've got to be scared if you're a Celtics fan, but it comes out after game two, Rajan Rondo, for all of the brilliance that he was doing, for all of the amazing play, he broke his thumb out indefinitely, definitely out for the rest of the series probably out for most of the playoffs, if not all the playoffs. Now you've got to remove Rondo from that picture. Game three in Chicago, I mean, the Celtics beat the living shit out of the Bulls, and they were missing Rajon Rondo. Everybody who tried to replace him, uh, uh, and Grant, um, Michael Carter-Williams was out there. None of these guys could do what Rondo was doing. Rondo, he had 14 assists in game two, and I think... um, Jerry and Grant and Michael Carter-Williams combined had something like five assists for the game. It was really just, they were sorely, sorely missing that point guard quarterback that Rajon Rondo had channeled in the first two games. And not only was it, it, it's not just that he was out there playing great, I mean, he was doing everything, you know, hitting shots, stealing the ball. I mean, really running the whole system and taking advantage of the fact that you know Isaiah Thomas couldn't get the shots that he wanted, taking advantage of the fact that Avery Bradley wasn't putting up the same numbers in these games. But the Celtics picked up Game Three. It's now two-one Chicago. There's going to be a Game Four in Chicago, and now without Rondo for the rest of the series. I think there's a very real chance Boston's going to clean up their act, get their shit together, come, bounce back and and just and rip off a handful of wins and get rid of this Bulls team. And it's just it's sad because there was so much excitement to go along with this Bulls team after winning two games I think we were expecting some drama and we were expecting some competitive play but we were not expecting the Bulls to play like they did in those first two games and it really got some people going like oh my god this is going to shake things up we're looking at an uh an eight seed upset but now that you take Rondo away I mean I gotta I still gotta give the the victory to the Celtics that's who I initially picked I'm still going with that I don't think Dwayne Wade as much hero ball as he has in him, and as much scoring as Jimmy Butler has. You know they need that Rondo. They need that linchpin to make everything else work. And I just, without Rondo on the court, it's going to be hard to see them upsetting the Celtics. Now, um, <clears throat> let's flip to um, let's flip to the Western Conference for a second. Uh, so the Clippers and the Jazz. Now, this has been a pretty competitive series. Right now, we're after three games. The Clippers are up two games to one. So the immediate drama that happened with this series was Rudy Gobert. Rudy Gobert, uh, one of the two best players in the Utah Jazz. You got Rudy Gobert and Gordon Hayward. Rudy Gobert gets injured and is pretty much what they're saying. He's probably going to miss the entire series, if not all the playoffs. He gets injured 11 seconds into the first game. On the first fucking play. The guy gets injured, and now Gobert is going to be out for the bulk of the series. Utah, However, Utah is still extremely competitive. They've got a lot of guys on this team, a lot of veteran leadership. Joe Johnson, Boris Diaw. Um, these are guys who have been to the mountaintop and know what it takes to get there. So you're going to carry guys like, well, they're not going to carry Gordon Hayward, but you put that Gordon Hayward superstar with the rest of that team together, and now Derek Favors is not Rudy Gobert, but I mean, he's doing his best. And so, that Game 1, even after Gobert goes down, Utah steals Game 1. They hang in there with the Clippers, and you know, and the Clippers have been playing great ball. Chris Paul is playing absolutely out of his mind. Blake Griffin stepped up. J.J. Redick, DeAndre Jordan, they're doing everything that they need to do, but they could never pull away in Game 1. And at the end of Game 1, Joe Johnson won the game on a buzzer beater. And they stole that game, and they pretty much stole home court advantage. But... You then go to game two, the Clippers came out, guns blazing. And without Gobert on the on the floor, they really kind of pushed around the Jazz. They never ran away with the game, though. They never really did, because this, this Jazz team, you can't sleep on them. They are dangerous, they're competitive. Um, they've got guys coming in like, I mean, I like some of the stuff I'm seeing from Rodney Hood. You know, Boris Diaw and Joe Johnson, these guys are essential pieces to what they're doing. And then you've got Gordon Hayward, you know, he's stepping up. I love that Gordon Hayward is stepping up. But it wasn't enough to stop the Clippers. They stole Game 2, or they didn't really steal Game 2. They, they won that. Not I wouldn't say convincingly, but the Clippers took care of business. They needed to take care of business, and they did it. The real kicker is now Game 3. Game 3 happens in Utah. It was just last night, or two night, Yeah, just last night. Um, really competitive game, but again... The Clippers could not run away with the game. You know, they, they took some nice leads, but I don't ever think they built a double digit lead. They couldn't, you know, Utah would not go away. And then Blake Griffin gets hurt. Blake Griffin is said he leaves in the second quarter with a toe injury. And today, breaking news, it's official Blake Griffin is going to miss the rest of the playoffs with a toe injury. Before I get totally on the Blake Griffin injury, I do need to mention that. Chris Paul finished out that game and was a fucking hero. He played hero ball. Well, not. I mean, he's a facilitator. I don't know if Chris Paul plays hero ball. If you, hero ball is when it's give me the ball and get the fuck out of the way. That's what hero ball is. Chris Paul doesn't play that because he he actually throws the ball around. He's a point guard. He knows how to actually get assists, but he had 44 points, 10 assists. I mean, he did everything. And even at the end of the game, Utah was still threatening to win that game. It was neck and neck. Of, <clears throat> excuse me. It was neck and neck at the very end of that game, but Chris Paul hung in there without Blake Griffin. They 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 came away with that victory, and that's how the Clippers now have a two one lead. But now they're finishing out this series without Blake Griffin. So Blake Griffin's gone down. Rudy Gobert's gone down. I mean, nothing can break right for this Clippers team. A week ago, I was talking about how this might be their last dance. This might be that last real opportunity for the Clippers to take advantage of this Chris Paul, Blake Griffin, DeAndre Jordan, Doc Rivers kind of you know hurrah of a team because every year, something doesn't go right for them if it's not if it's not a health issue or an injury issue it's just them choking in the playoffs like when they were up 3 games to 1 against the Houston Rockets and then pre- proceeded to let the entire series slip away we're looking at that again once again for the second straight year Blake Griffin is hurt uh in the playoffs and last year you know Chris Paul got hurt in the playoffs and that just killed their playoff run now with Blake Griffin down and Rudy Gobert down, I see the Clippers still winning this series. I think that Utah can be dangerous. Gordon Hayward had 40 points in the loss, but I I think the Clippers have enough metal to get through this series and to get out of it. But one of these teams is going to face the Golden State War or the Portland Trailblazers, but I'm pretty confident it's going to be the Golden State Warriors. Neither of them are getting through the Warriors. I don't care what you say. I don't care how you slice it even if they had Blake Griffin i don't know if uh, the clippers would get through the warriors and now that they're down Blake Griffin i feel even stronger that they're not going to get through the warriors you know guys like Luka Doncic, um you know Maurice Spates, Paul Pierce, these guys are not going to be able to stand up against the Steph Curries and the Kevin Durants and the Draymond Greens it's just not going to work out that way so there's been some i'm interested to see how the rest of this clippers jazz series is going to play out because it could go to 7 games I could see a six, seven-game series going here, um, especially with the big men out, but I still think the Clippers are going to take it. Really unfortunate to just see all these injuries, and I mean, the Clippers, it is the ultimate nightmare. Nothing could just, nothing could break their way at all. Um, Let's talk about another um, Western Conference series, the MVP Smash Mouth. Oklahoma City Thunder-Houston Rockets. So after two games in Houston, the first game, the Rockets absolutely blew out the Thunder. Um, Russell Westbrook went straight up hero ball, just give me the ball and get the fuck out of the way. It didn't work. The Rockets killed him. They shot threes left and right. And, you know, James Harden and Russell Westbrook had the amazing numbers, but the Rockets took care of business. Now, game two, that was really impressive. Russell Westbrook comes out. He has a 51-point triple-double. They take a big lead. But in the second half, Houston comes all the way back to win the game. Now, that was a real moment where Russell Westbrook needed to utilize his teammates. He needed to get everybody else going. He needed to get other guys open shots. And at the end of that game, when they really needed a bucket, there were moments where Russell Westbrook just decided to do everything by himself. Give me the ball, and he's shooting... I don't want to say they're open threes. They're like half-contested threes with a minute and a half left in the game, and you're down by two points. Like, get to the hoop. Get fouled. Find an open guy. Be Michael Jordan. Don't play hero ball because hero ball is what lost the Thunder that game. Russell Westbrook, I mean, you can't do it all yourself. You just cannot do it all yourself, and he tried to do that at the end of Game 2 in this Thunder Rocket series, and it didn't work out. Now, Game 3, when they went back to Oklahoma City— that was when that was when I started to see a legitimate shift. I think Billy Donovan and probably Russell Westbrook had a moment of a come to Jesus moment where they said, "Listen, we've got to get other guys involved." And so in game 3, the Thunder took a pretty impressive lead early on. And it was I liked that I saw at about halftime or midway through the second quarter, Russell Westbrook had about 6 points and like Five rebounds and six assists, which meant that he's looking to be more of a facilitator, looking to get other guys involved in the game more so than him. Specifically, Taj Gibson. Taj Gibson had 20 points in game three, and I think he shot something like seven of eight or, or seven of nine from the field. Very efficient, but it was a real moment of seeing other players get the ball, seeing other guys like Oladipo, who I think Oladipo can be a good uh, playmaker on his own I or at least I I thought he could but he's not really he needs Westbrook to get him his shot but unless Westbrook is helping to facilitate his teammates they're not going to get a shot and in game three he was Oladipo got some nice shots Stephen Adams was getting was getting alley oops and like I said Taj Gibson put up big numbers you saw you know um Doug McDermott, the other guy they traded from the Bulls, the other guy they got from the Bulls in the Taj Gibson deal, actually hitting threes, playing meaningful minutes, you know, getting scoring from someone other than Ennis Cantor, because Ennis Cantor has always been an offensive presence for this Thunder team, but he's a defensive liability, and when you put him out there against a Houston Rockets team where he needs to come out and guard perimeter shooters, he's very ineffective. So they needed to get some offense from other parts of the uh, of the team, and Taj Gibson gave him that in Game 3. but. Even though the Thunder took a big lead, Houston was still able to come all the way back in the fourth quarter, and and instead of losing by double digits, Houston Houston lost by, I believe, two points. They came all the way back in that fourth quarter, and you know it's perimeter shooting. It's three-pointers. It's Mike D'Antoni's offense. It's guys like Eric Gordon and Ryan Anderson. I mean, there was a point when Ryan Anderson was the biggest guy on the court. He was out there with Eric Gordon and... Trevor Ariza and, um, and Harden. And I'm just sitting here going, wow, they are playing serious small ball. Just shameless offense at that point. I don't like what the Thunder's doing. I know they took game three, which is a big deal. It's now 2-1. It's not going to be a sweep because I think some people were thinking that after the first two games. But, uh, and I and I liked what, the, you know, I like some of the adjustments they made, but I don't see them coming out of this series. I just don't think they have what it takes to outshoot Houston, because Houston sooner or later is gonna pretty much just shoot you shoot the lights out and put up so many points you you don't know what to do with yourself. I don't think they have enough to get through this series. You know, this game four is gonna be very pivotal because if Houston is able to steal that game and go back to Houston with a 3-1 lead, I think that's all she wrote. If Russell Westbrook is able to facilitate for his teammates a little bit more and get a little further, then we've got a different discussion, and then I think you know what if they have a game plan that could be effective. Now you're gonna see you're gonna it's really gonna be a test what Mike what adjustments Mike D'Antoni can do with this Houston team to make sure Oklahoma City doesn't get the better of them. Okay, um, let me shift to another series which has been very exciting: Eastern Conference three six, Milwaukee Bucks, Toronto Raptors. Now, okay, the Bucks are up two games to one, and Giannis Antetokounmpo is the talk of the town. This guy is a future MVP. He has been an absolute monster. Now, I got to give Toronto credit because I I think that they've got a lot of good elements to their team. They've built the team properly. I like DeMar DeRozan. I'm a little on the fence about Kyle Lowry's ability in the playoffs because I I think year after year, his playoff performances have been subpar. Um, But I do like their depth. I like Ibaka. I like Valanchunas. But... And I said this in last week's podcast. This Raptors team has really been snake bit when it comes to performing in the playoffs. And I say it again: when they lost to the Nets in the first round, even though they were a higher seed, then they lost to the uh, the Wizards the very next year, even though they were a higher seed. And then last year, until they went to the Eastern Conference playoff or uh, Eastern Conference Finals, they were nearly bumped in the first round by the Pacers. They had to go to seven games against that Pacer team, and then and also. Frank Vogel, who's no longer the coach of the Pacers, very famously made a couple of very terrible coaching decisions at the end of that series against the Raptors, which really kind of cost the Pacers the series. So that's kind of the story about how the Raptors got out of the first round last year and then proceeded to... they, They went on a roll from then on. But there's been a good sort of sense, and Bill Simmons has really been hollering at him about how they've got a good defense. He thinks they can be a dangerous team. Well, now... All of that playoff sort of underperformance disappointment is coming back because Game 1, once again, for like the fifth or sixth year in a row, the Toronto Raptors lose Game 1 at home against the Bucs. It was a close game, and you started to see how guys like Thon Maker, you started to see how guys like Chris Middleton are extremely dangerous and are bringing a lot to this Bucs team, and guys like Greg Monroe. A, a guy who the Bucs were trying to trade a year ago because he was such a poor fit for this Bucs team is now a key post player who's coming off the bench and and giving a lot of trouble to this Raptors team. So throwing in, you know, he's a guy who you can throw up against Valanchunas. He's a guy who you can throw up against uh, Serge Ibaka. And these things are causing real issues for this Raptors team. Then you go back to Giannis. Um... He is affecting the whole fucking game because the Raptors came back and they won Game Two, but it was still a close game. Even at the very end of the game, it was still within one or two points because the Bucks would not go away. The Raptors pulled out Game Two and they went one-one, but they, they went back to Milwaukee, and goddamn it, if that Milwaukee Bucks team did not shred the Raptors, they absolutely killed them. And not only, and Giannis's numbers—they're not. I mean, they're good, but what's crazy is that. He is affecting the game so much that that a lot of his um, uh, impression on the game is not even seen in the box score. And I watch some of these highlights. There's moments. When defenders come off their perim- their their guy to guard Giannis because he's cutting to the basket, and like a uh, the guy guarding Delavadova leaves Delavadova because Giannis is cutting to the basket. Delavadova gets an open three. They uh, there's another moment where Giannis is actually trying to uh he's trying to get the ball. Someone comes to help defend him, and the ball goes to the open man. Another you know open layup. He is affecting the game in so many ways because he is such a terrorizing force on the defense and. Again, the Bucs are doing all of this without Jabari Parker. They're doing, you know, they've got Chris Middleton playing amazing basketball. They've got Malcolm Brogdon, the rookie, who's who probably will be Rookie of the Year, playing serious, meaningful minutes for a playoff team, even though he's been a little cold from a shooting standpoint. Still contributing a lot, and we are seeing Thon Maker, or Thon Mecher, blossom in front of our eyes. This guy is a great defender. He rolls to the basket. He's in the starting lineup. I mean, really, really these guys are just blossoming in front of our eyes and I like I like Jason Kidd as a coach. I, I do. I think he I think he does good stuff. I think he um he manages that roster well. He's got a good rotation going. This Bucks team is dangerous. And let's and let's also think about the fact that if the Bucks come out of this series, which I did pick the Raptors, but I think I'm going back on my word right now. I'm officially saying right now, after a week with the Bucs up two games to one, I think the Bucs have got it. I think they're gonna that they're the team that's gonna upset the Raptors, and you're gonna see the Bucs having to play the Cleveland Cavaliers in the next round. Can you imagine LeBron going up against Giannis? Woo! We might be seeing a playoff rivalry for years to come, although you know, who knows how much longer LeBron is going to be on top? Who's who knows how long the king is going to be the king of the mountain because Giannis might be the king right now and and if he if, you know, sooner or later he's going to eliminate one of these guys and then, you know, you've got the Bucks in the Eastern Conference Finals and all of a sudden everyone will know Giannis's name. They know it now, but let's just say that the Bucks Raptors games will no longer be on NBA TV, okay? They're going to be on TNT or ESPN or the Saturday night game on ABC. Uh, so that's something to think about with this series I I don't have a lot of faith in the Raptors to come back again you know they the Bucks were able to shut down DeMar DeRozan and Kyle Lowry in game three DeRozan had I think eight or ten points for the night and he was zero from eight from the field I, I mean just just they, it's shutting them down and until I see a change there i'm I'm picking the bucks, man. I think they'll pull it out in six games right now. At this rate, I don't even I mean maybe the Raptors can win one more game. Maybe. Now, I'm gonna jump back over to the Western Conference because I do want to talk about this Spurs grizzlies series. Um, okay, the the excitement I want to say about this this series was David Fisdale's rant. So game one, the Spurs came out, played very convincing. The Grizzlies could not keep up with them. Spurs won Game One. It it was it was not nothing really to say there aside from great basketball. Kawhi Leonard's a monster. Game Two was when the Grizzlies—you can't sleep on this team. These guys are, you know, there's a reason they call them grit and grind. You know, Conley is probably playing the best basketball of his entire career right now. Marc Gasol is still an animal, and. They're doing this without Tony Allen. Tony Allen is pretty much going to miss all of the playoffs. And, I mean, he is a key defensive piece for this team. And instead of him, you know, you've got the uh, the rest of the guys have got to shoulder the burden. The Vince Carter, I can't believe I'm saying Vince Carter is still in this goddamn league playing meaningful minutes for a team. It's a real testament to his conditioning and who he is as a player and the fact that we are also forgetting about the fact that he completely quit on the Toronto Raptors and said, get me the hell out of here. And I'm just going to throw this out there. When that was happening, I remember me and my old buddy, we used to say, what's wrong with him? Oh, he's got sand in his vagina. That's what's going on. So back to the back to the lecture at hand. So uh, the Grizzlies, tena- tenacious team, Jamichael Green, you know, uh, Ennis, like I like what they've got, but it's going to be a lot to get over the hump of this Spurs team. And, you know, Kawhi Leonard was an absolute monster. It has been an absolute monster. But in game two in San Antonio, um, they really were were giving the Spurs a run for their money. This was a close game. They were in it the whole time. It was a slow, grinding-out, half-court game because that's the game that the Grizzlies want to play, and that's the game the Spurs want to play. These are not run-and-gun defenses like the Thunder and the Rockets who are going to put up 120 points. These are two teams who are going to grind out every possession. When you got Tony Parker and Ginobili out there, those guys are going to grind it out all day long. The real thing that came out of it was the Spurs took game two. They won by 14 points, but that does not – don't be fooled by that, okay? It was a close game up until the very, very end of the game. But the calls were really lopsided for the Spurs. And in the in the post-game interview, head coach David Fisdale of the Memphis Grizzlies came out and just got pissed off. He was pretty much like, listen – my guys took 15 shots in the paint and we had six free throws. Okay, they took they took 11 shots in the paint and they had 35 free throws. Kawhi Leonard had 19 free throws more than our entire team. Zach Randolph is the grittiest player on the court and he didn't get a single call. And Mike Conley is a nice guy. He's got class and he never gets any. He never gets any technical fouls called on him. And you know what? These guys refed us wrong. And he's like, and I know Greg Popovich has got pedigree, and I'm just a rookie coach, but they're not going to rook us. My team played hard, and they deserve to be in it, and these, the refs did not even give us a chance. He's like, how's that for data? That's right. I just reenacted it right there because it, was, it got me so going. It was so passionate. And they find him, which the league should absolutely do. You can't bitch about the refs, but God damn it. He was fucking right, okay. You look at those numbers. You look at the plays. You look at the calls. The refs really home cooked it, man. I'm saying there were some touch fouls on Kawhi that they called, and there were some tu- and there were some serious fouls on the Grizzlies that they had no calls. And it's not crazy, man, because then in Game Three, it was not a surprise. Let me tell you something. Back in Memphis, they started to get some calls. And it was a different officiating team. It doesn't matter, but listen, I think behind closed doors, somebody in the NBA was like, listen, guys, you got to look at that again because that was not officiated right. It just wasn't. It just wasn't. I'm not a conspiracy theorist out here, guys. I'm looking at the calls. I'm looking at the numbers. I'm looking at the replays. The, The Grizzlies got a raw deal in that game too, and it's the truth. That's my opinion. I'm sticking to it. I believe it. And in game three, they fucking smacked around that Spurs team. I mean they went out there and they really stuck it to them. And I got news for you. This Spurs team has got a they got some work cut out for them, all right? They're not going to walk through this Grizzlies team. This is not that first time in the playoffs Grizzlies team for with Pau Gasol when uh, when the Spurs swept them out in 4 games, okay? Randolph, Marc Gasol, Conley, these guys are not going to roll over and take it, okay, man? They are going to fight, fight, fight until it is done. And this Spurs team, they look pitiful in game 3. You know, once the once the Grizzlies took a serious commanding lead, you know Ginobili and Parker sitting on the bench looking distraught. This is not going to be an easy out for the Spurs. I can tell you that. So personally, I'm very interested to see how things shake out in Game Four. If the Grizzlies can replicate some of the offense and defense that they had in Game Three, because defensively they really locked down on Kawhi. The other guys couldn't get the same shots. Parker couldn't do the same things he was doing in games one and two. And you're really going to need to see the rest of the Spurs team stepping up. And now you start to understand that they might not have the depth that they need to get them through this playoff run. The guys like David Lee, Dwayne Dedman, they've been great. They've been great for the Spurs all year. But I don't know if Dwayne Dedman, Pau Gasol, you know, they might be able to, to to stick it out with this Grizzlies team. But right now... I mean, it might be six or seven games. I could see this going to seven games. And I think I still am picking the Spurs. I'm still picking them to come out of this series. But, I mean, if you have to have the Spurs go up against, um, you know, Houston in the next round, now that's, okay, that's an interesting matchup because I actually I think the Spurs are a good matchup for the the Rockets. You know, I think the Rockets can outshoot the Spurs, But the Spurs will grind them down and slow them down and force them to play a slow half-court game. And I think the Spurs can probably take them out, which is why I think the Spurs still are on the path to get to the Western Conference Finals. But, I mean, once they get to the Warriors, it's not working. This is not going to work. As much as I love Popovich and Aldridge and Kawhi Leonard and Patty Mills, this this game plan is not going to get through a team like the Warriors. It's just not. So... I'm excited to see the rest of the Grizzlies-Spurs series. I'm still picking the Spurs, but I'm saying it'll go to seven games. Um, Okay, two more series to go. Atlanta Hawks and the Washington Wizards, not too much to say about that. The Wizards are dominating. The Hawks have been playing good basketball, but the Wizards are dominating. John Wall is phenomenal. Bradley Beal, absolutely playing just the way everybody would hope he would play. Okay, both of these guys are putting up colossal numbers, you know, and then the big men, Jason Smith— Gortat, Boban, these guys are all doing what they need to be doing. You know, I like the minutes that Markeith Morris is putting in. Like, there's, for a team that is not strong on defense, they're being able to get the defensive stops they need to allow their backcourt of Wall and Beal to take over and dominate the games. Game three is today. We've only seen two games. Wizards won both of them. They're up by two um going back to Atlanta one of the bigger storylines though is Dwight Howard on Atlanta he looks like absolute dog shit it's like he's mailing it in right now and you've got got you know everyone else on that team are, is really you know they're they're showing up Paul Millsap showing up I don't know about Dennis Schroeder. I'm a little out to lunch on Dennis Schroeder. I don't I don't really I feel like the ship has sailed with me for Dennis Schroeder. I don't know if I can really count on him to be the point guard of the future for the Atlanta Hawks. You might need to move on from that guy. Um, But the other guys on the team, I just don't think they have, they never, even in years past when they had a legitimate squad with Horford and Millsap um, and Jeff Teague and Kyle Korver, like, you know, that was a dangerous squad and I like Mike Budenholzer as a coach, but. They never really had the firepower to get them over the hump, and now they have even less. You know, Cephalosha hasn't really been playing as many minutes. I think there's an injury there. Um, Taurine Prince, this rookie, has been playing good minutes, but again, it's it's guys like Prince and 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 Mike Muscala and and Mike Dunleavy. I mean, these are the guys that the the Hawks are trotting out there and it's not going to be able to hang 10 with a team like the wizards. The wizards are on fire. They're a great team this year. I like what Scott Brooks is doing as the coach. Um, you know, again, they've both got the, I think the Hawks are probably a better defensive team than the Wizards, but I think the the Wizards have too much firepower for this series. They're going to get through it. I mean, right now, I would say a sweep. It might be 5 games. It's really you know, you really got to take a look and, you know, you know, it, you got to see the Wizards pick up a road win in Atlanta before you start making, you know, real assumptions how this series is going to go. But I I see them pulling out the win. Dwight Howard is just I mean, what a shit stain he is. Real not even trying on defense doesn't work as the offensive player. The game has moved on from his game, okay? We need a stretch player. We need a guy who can go out and guard defenders on the perimeter. We need a guy who can take jump shots. And you know what? He just insists on playing this deep, post-up Shaquille O'Neal-type game, and, you know, it, it, it's passed him by. It's not working, and it says it all how he wasn't even in the game in the fourth quarter in Game 2 against the Wizards. He's just been ineffective. If anything, now Atlanta's got to figure out how to get the hell out of that contract. Um, okay, the funny, the last series I'm mentioning is the Warriors and the Blazers. Um, <laughs> uh You'd think I might mention that at the top of the podcast, but the truth is it's not the it's not, it hasn't been the most exciting series. Um, what's been exciting is that so far there's been two games. The Warriors won both of them. Uh, Kevin Durant has a calf strain and did not play in Game 2, and they're saying right now he might not play in Game 3 either, which is later today, um, but it didn't fucking matter. The Warriors dominated them, man. I mean, even with Durant out of the lineup, didn't matter whatsoever. Steph Curry, Klay Thompson, Draymond Green, really I mean, my God, Draymond Green is playing phenomenal basketball. There was one point in game two without Kevin Durant where the box score had, I think it was about halfway through the game, Draymond Green had 10 rebounds, 10 assists, and three points. I mean, this guy is facilitating everything right now. And the Blazers just, they, you know, they don't have what it takes, and especially without Nurkic. Nurkic was such a big reason why the Blazers went on the run they did at the end of the season and and were in the playoffs okay because they were falling they were failing and the Denver Nuggets were going to get that 8 seed but the trade for Nurkic where they were actually they got Nurkic from the Nuggets when Nurkic came to the Blazers he absolutely just his game improved it channeled the rest of the team and they went on a uh, they went on a you know winning streaks so they were just ripping off wins but Nurkic breaks his leg there was some hope that he would be available for this playoff series. It's looking now like he's not going to be available at all. And now the Blazers, they really they can't compete on the same level. You know, Myers Leonard, um, you know, Aminu, Alan Crabb, Mo Harkless, you know, Noah Vonley, These guys... They can't stop the Golden State Warriors. The Golden State Warriors are a freight train that's just going to barrel right through them. Guys like Evan Turner are not going to slow down Draymond Green and Klay Thompson. It's just not going to work that way. And Damian Lillard and C.J. McCollum can score 50 points each a night. It's still not going to beat the Golden State Warriors. That's just... There's not much else to say to that aside from the fact that Kevin Durant's not even playing and they're still barreling through this team. Uh, it almost feels like Steph Curry when he was out for first round of last year and uh, they still just kind of got through the series even without him because it's the first round of the playoffs. You're playing a mediocre team. You're not going to be playing a team like the Clippers or the Jazz just yet. You're playing the Blazers. They're not mailing it in, but I mean, I don't know how hard they really need to work to get out of this series. Um yeah, I still think it'll probably be a sweep. I think the Warriors will take it in four. Um, all right, this was good. This was real good. I needed to break down uh, some of these series, kind of go back over them, recap them, um, give you a few senses of what I'm thinking. I'm still hoping to try to get some guests on to talk about some of these series, give the give some additional opinions on how they think th- uh, how they think things have been shaking out. Um, I think it's been a good playoff so far. I really am. Uh, I'm really interested to see. You know, if any of these uh, predictions I'm making now, I really want to see the Bucks bump the Raptors. No offense to the Raptors, but I just kind of want to see Giannis and LeBron go head to head. That'll be really, really exciting. Um, but that's all I got for right now. Uh, very sad news, Aaron Hernandez. Uh, I don't even. I don't even need to go into that. The guy killed himself in prison. Just a terrible, terrible story. That's that's football. Let's we'll talk about football on another podcast. I. Uh, uh, but that's all I ha- that's all I got for this time around. As always, uh, subscribe to uh, Sam Sports Podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, and SoundCloud. Like my Facebook page, Sam Sports Station. Follow me on Instagram, at Sam Sports Station. Follow me on Twitter, at SmithFaceJones. Email me at samsportsstation at gmail.com, S-M-A-S-S-P-O-R-T-S-S-T-A-T-I-O-N at gmail.com. And thank you again to Don Kenyon for our theme music I'm really liking it now. I'm getting the I'm getting the groove, and I'm starting to get used to the intro music. Feels good, baby. Feels good. But in the meantime, enjoy the playoffs. Enjoy basketball. I'm about to jump in and watch some games. This uh, I think the Bucks game is starting in about seven or eight minutes. Um, if, at least the time I'm recording this. Um, so I'll be enjoying this weekend's worth of basketball, and I'll be back real soon to uh, continue talking about all the drama of the NBA playoffs. And of course. Maybe we'll get Shaka back on soon to talk some NFL as well. Uh, But in the meantime, enjoy the playoffs. I'll talk to you soon. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye.